podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, the Pac-12 died last night. Did you know that? Apparently, yeah. It's Power Four. We live in a Power Four universe, just like everybody predict has predicted for the last like uh, twenty years. We now have our four. The whole conference is dead. Did you know about this? It's a shame, really. <sighs> All right. I just want to say before we start this segment that I like Dennis Dodd. <laughs> All right. He is a colleague. He's a nice guy. Um, I'm opening a beverage to deal with this. Um, I like Dennis. I like his reporting. Um, before there's a Reddit thread about a beef, there isn't. Um, however, um, it, the, the interesting thing about the way you can report on a situation like the Pac-12 is that you aren't stating any falsehoods. There's no factual problem with anything that's being written about the Pac-12 right now. It's just very much an issue of perception. So um, our buddy Dennis wrote a piece outlining the issues within the Pac-12 football conference. Um, except I can't even make that joke because he brings up basketball, which is one of the things that kind of irked me a little bit. We'll get to the reason why. Um let me just get into it. Okay, so we start. He's got an anecdote about how, if you remember that way back, was this mid-season last year? Stanford played Washington on FS1. Is that right? Right, yeah. I, uh, remember, yeah sometime in there. I remember the previous season that the game got a much better shake for exposure because it was a Friday night game. Uh, it was on ESPN. I just vividly remember it because I was in Baton Rouge to cover the Orgeron the first Orgeron game against Missouri. So whatever that week was, so it was like week four, week five. Yeah, I think it was so, yeah, it was like a mid-season game. Um, for those of you who don't remember, it was on FS1. It was supposed to kick at 10 Eastern, thereabout. It got, no, I'm sorry, it was supposed to kick, okay, facts. It was supposed to kick at 10.30 Eastern, 9.30 Central God's time, and then all the way down to 8.30 um, nope, that's not right. That's not good math. 730 on the West Coast. Um, I get it, but that's not great. Uh, what was the life on the West Coast? This is something they're going to deal with until we try and fold the continent in a little bit or possibly blow up the sun. One of those two things. Um, but until those things happen, we're always going to have time zones. Um, the game got bumped for the end of the Lucas Oil 150, which is the NASCAR truck series. Um, Everyone wants to be real pithy about that, but the reason why NASCAR has such a stranglehold on their network partnerships is because NASCAR drives consistent viewership of particular demographics. And while NASCAR may wax and wane in terms of its overall national popularity, they're not someone to trifle with. Like they, you know, people who like NASCAR watch the absolute crap out of it. So that's why they didn't move the NASCAR race off. Um, so there's a anecdote about that, and Larry Scott says that sucked, and it did suck, and it got moved over to FS2, which nobody really has. I don't even know what FS2. I have it, but it's like it's mixed into a completely different batch of channels. Like it's it's 185 channels away from FS1 on my cable system. I think I have it. Um, so there's a couple anecdotes here. Um, several people being vocally. Um, uh, disapproving of the Pac-12 as a league, as a league body, and then also as a network. The network, obviously, we've discussed at great length their issues with DirecTV and the future of what these networks will consist of and how they'll how they'll exist in probably like just five more years. Um, 
let me get into a couple things. Um, the Pac-12 has extended the Power Five's longest national championship drought to 14 years. That's one thing. Um, Dennis also points out that they had the worst bowl record in conference history at one and eight. It's a bad year. That's not a real stat. That that's not a real stat. Bowl records mean nothing. Um, I'm not going to stump for the Pac-12 here. I think the, the overall problems are real, uh, but I just don't think they're fatal, and I don't think that they. We, I don't think we're evaluating the Pac-12 the way we should be. Um, well, I think this was what happened in this piece, and what you know, what the sentiment has become in a lot of places, but especially this piece. Um, it's like when a when your team has a bad year and you immediately, it, it's not that we had a bad year. We're going to have a bad, we're, we're going to have a bad forever. Like the, yeah. you know, the sky has fallen and it's over and we're never going to be good again. And that's kind of how we think. And then when we try to write with that kind of, with those goggles on, uh, we, st- we tend to start taking logical shortcuts to make our point. And I think that's what kind of got into this article, like the big disparity between the PAC 12 and the sec from a revenue standpoint, it's $10 million a year, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good amount of money. Uh, PAC 12 still also makes 25 or 30 million per team more than, you know, the mountain West does, or the American does. Um, they're a lot, heck of a lot, way, 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 way closer to the sec than the AAC. All right. Don't spoil uh, it. We got to get there. So one and eight bowl record um, off the top of my head. I can definitely remember Mario Cristobal taking over seconds after Willie Taggart went to Florida state in the middle of trying to recruit. They assembled a hodgepodge staff and got, uh, got beat up by Boise state. That's one example that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Washington traded punches with a great Penn state team and could have yeah, they lost by seven could have won that game. In no way, shape, or form does the Fiesta Bowl performance for Washington. Those are just two ends of the spectrum. Does no way, shape, or form uh, in no way, shape, or form does that game for Washington speak ill of either the program or the conference? If anything, I think it just it, it really was a one possession game, and Washington right. It's solidified that they were a top ten team, and they're going to be real good this year. Um, yeah. Okay. Dennis throws in. This, Dennis throws in real fast. This was before the entire league got knocked out of the NCAA tournament prior to the second round for the first time in 32 years. Um, I can't give you the specific number, Bill, but before your alma mater and Texas A&M joined, and I, I just mentioned that because Missouri has been decent in basketball, the SEC was absolute ruddy ass at basketball. Well, they were, they continued to be terrible at basketball until this year, basically. And Missouri certainly didn't help that. But for those of you who, who follow college basketball, and I have not followed college basketball in years, I'm a, I am aware of it just in the capacity of work. But like, there's a reason John Calipari stumps for all of these coaches in the SEC. Um, it's the reason why he promotes programs like South Carolina and, and really talks them up as much as they can when they're in the middle of a run. It's because Kentucky has been so far removed from the median of the SEC in quality that it's hurt them year over year. The SEC has been terrible in basketball. It's very, very dangerous to compare sports when you're trying to evaluate conferences the situations are totally different i mean my god look at baseball i know that that's a distant third when you talk about revenue sports because only a handful of programs actually generate in the black revenue from baseball but i mean the entire the the big 10 wanted to postpone the entire baseball season until april one year that was their big solution to which the sunbelt like the actual not the conference but like the schools in warm weather they just laugh at them like we're not going to do that um, now, in this case, I will say, like, 
when uh, it, it furthered a narrative to have like, you know, the SEC at least had football when it was bad at basketball and the Pac-12 was easily the worst conference power conference in both sports. Um, when, <laughs> when I, uh, I, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but in one of my AAC previews, I kind of just casually mentioned, uh, well, I mentioned the words mid-major a lot, but I mentioned it in, in, um, uh, relation to basketball at one point, And I, I had somebody from the AAC shoot me an email and just say, Hey, we were better than the PAC 12 last year. We were, we consider ourselves a power conference. Uh, you know, the Ken Palmer numbers don't support that, but regardless, it was, they were close. They were close to the AAC, uh, in, in basketball. And they were very, very far away. Their, their best team, I think was like 28th in, in the Palmer rankings. Oh, actually. Yeah. No. And their second best team was 49. It was a terrible year for PAC 12 basketball and a bad year for PAC 12 football. Um, and, and you, again, that's the narrative. It was a bad year, but that doesn't have to be any more than that. That was just a bad year. Last year was very good year for PAC 12 basketball. And, uh, and you know, their PAC, the PAC 12 champion got into the college football playoff last year. It could happen again this year. So, or this coming year, I'm tempted to ask if this has anything to do with USC getting drilled by Ohio state, because I think that's shaping perception more than it should, because bowl games are never supposed to shape perception of anything other than that game on that day and that moment. And all of those bowl games are always played with incredibly unique, extraordinary circumstances. In most cases, not so much for USC, Ohio state, they both had coaches. They were stable. Ohio state was just clearly the better team and USC got worked big time. Um, oh, Ohio state was one of the three best teams in the country. USC was one of the 15 or 20 best. So that's going to happen. That's it's part of the, it's part of the weirdness of the, of the selection process, the new year six. Right. And while I have this pulled up, by the way, um, since it took a while to click and find it, uh, here are the Pac-12 bowl results very quickly. Uh, number one, Oregon with their interim staff got beat by Boise and they did respond, by the way. They, they came out getting drilled, uh, but they fought back and it made it a, a better game when they could have completely packed it in. So, you know, whatever. It was an interim coach. Uh, Utah crushed West Virginia with its backup quarterback, which I mean, good for them. I, you know, I'm not going to ca- I'm not going to take any of these results seriously, but it was a win. Um, you, uh, UCLA's interim staff and backup quarterback got worked by Kansas State. Uh, Arizona and Purdue, which were completely dead on equal teams in the regular season, basically played an almost completely dead on equal game that uh, Purdue won by three. Uh, Stanford, uh, basically TCU's equal. They went up uh, at halftime. Uh, TCU came back in the fourth quarter in a really fun game and won by two. Uh, by, by the way, two points, three points. Uh, not not in, you know anywhere near blowouts. Michigan uh, State drubbed Washington State. That was a bad result. Michigan State was a better team, mm-hmm. um, but Washington State laid a complete egg, and there was no excuse for that. Uh, actually, there was an excuse for that. Their quarterback didn't play. Now that I think about it, Falk was out, wasn't huh. it? Okay. It's, so, al- it's, almost, so like, another it's almost like bowl games are different. Yeah. Weird. Uh, USC was an inferior team uh, to Ohio State. And uh, I, I, did they, I think they ended up outgaining them and creating far more scoring opportunities and just blowing chances, basically, um, against that. Oh, yeah. They, they drastically outgained them, uh, like 413 to 277, which is, uh, which again, uh, it didn't matter because Ohio State was up, but it was still a closer game than the score would suggest. Uh, NC State worked over an interim Arizona State, uh, interim coached Arizona State team. 
um, where they went up early and then Arizona State had to fight back and made it interesting for a while and then didn't. And then, yeah, Penn State went up 14 nothing on Washington because Penn State was the best first quarter team in the country last year. And then Washington basically outplayed them from there and lost by seven. So... Yeah, seven-point loss, interim uh, coach team, uh, two-point loss, three-point loss, interim coach team, interim coach team. Like it, let's. It was bad. It, it, it they were the worst Power Five conference before the Bulls, uh, and they weren't favoring in many of those games to begin with. Uh, but really, only one team laid an outright egg, uh, that, and, and didn't have like an interim coached reason, and they had an interim quarterback. So, if you take yeah. if you take the Oregon situation and Taggart one and done very rare that that happens, uh, especially when the program was headed in the right direction, albeit, you know, with injuries, but as far as recruiting momentum systems, clicking in and all that stuff, what you saw last year was the end result of what we had been saying for years, which was for a couple years there, there was absolutely no movement on the coaching front in the PAC 12 and that can't hold. It never holds. There's too much competition in the power five if you have a conference where no coach is getting fired or one coach is getting fired for a long period of time, eventually a lot of coaches are going to get fired all at once. Right. It's always, always going to happen. Now, one remark Dennis makes I, w- I would take a little umbrage with is that he says at one point, the sky is not falling out west, but cracks are beginning to appear in a once solid foundation. So here's my argument against that, and I'm going to use a statement that uh, one of our editors, Brian Floyd, who's a Seattle native and Washington State grad, has made – pretty consistently when talking about not not only talking about the Pac-12 but talking about the way the rest of the country talks about the Pac-12. I don't know if this was ever a rock solid foundation. I think what this was was a well-funded plan that was idealistic in nature and a little ahead of its time in some areas and grossly ahead of its time <clears throat> TV in others. And what that what Floyd always compares that to when we talk about it is a startup something out of Silicon Valley where you get a ton of money up front and a lot of runway and you've got some, you know, change the world Silicon Valley type mentality to some app or some program or some plan. And you chew through a ton of cash and you garner a lot of exposure and you do a lot of PR and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it becomes something completely different. Um, Sometimes it, kind of just survives along until it's absorbed by something else. I don't want to extend that metaphor too much further because I'm not saying that the Pac-12 is going to be chopped up and sold. It's not. Um, I don't know if it was rock solid. A lot of people got a lot of money really fast, and they did need to catch up relative. It's funny to to say that the Pac-12 is so far behind now. You guys don't remember. When it was the Pac-10, like – it really was far behind facilities were not up to snuff like coaching salaries were not up to snuff and then there was that big boom i think everybody forgot like getting todd graham to go to arizona state was a big deal getting mike leach to go to the palouse was a big deal jim mora going to ucla like there was a there was a swell of coaching talent that came in so there was a giant investment for a while without any real track record and and some might argue a plan and what we've done since that point is compare them to two completely different cultures in the Big Ten and the SEC. And that's the failing of all comparison, is that the Power Five is never going to be equal, ever. 
Um, I think you pointed it out earlier, so let's get to it. Um, the reason why they're still in the power five and they're always going to be in the power five, as long as there is a power five is that, look, there's a lot of fun little numbers that, that, that come out to say that, Oh, the PAC 12 is in trouble. Right. So the, I know this is one you took, you, you kind of took offense to where you said PAC 12, this is the CBS PAC 12 schools took in an estimated two and a half million each from the much maligned PAC 12 networks. LSU has a defensive coordinator and Dave Aranda who makes more than that by himself. Um, yeah, that just didn't make it that, that, Tying those two things together doesn't make any damn sense to me at all. Like, I I, I don't know. That just like the next part, the next bullet yes. where he says that the SEC so the Pac-12 makes ten, so the, SEC teams make ten million more per team. That made sense to me. Like t- tie that together. But that first well, one let's, was but, just let, but let's break loose. that down for a second because ten million dollars sounds like a hell of a lot of money, doesn't it, Bill? Pac twelve Pac twelve schools does. average thirty point nine million in annual revenue, and the SEC is number one at forty one million. That's a ten million dollar difference. Correct. Bill, do you, what, what's the annual revenue of any of the other conferences not in the Power Five? Right, like a couple, three single-digit million in some cases, less than that, depending on the year. Sometimes they don't even disclose the terms. So if you're making thirty point nine million dollars and the SEC is making forty-one, but the AAC is is managing to cough up maybe a couple single million dollars a year in revenue to those schools you're still in a better position than UCF and Houston and South Florida and all and, and BYU and all of these other programs that, that would die to be in your, to, to go to your conference. Um, I just don't buy it. I don't buy the idea that no. $10 million. And, and the problem here is that I know this firsthand, there's a danger in quoting sources of a particular walk of life because they're going to have an agenda that's usually no matter how many people you talk to in a particular industry, if you talk to people in the same position, they're all going to have about the same kind of vantage point because it's self-preservation first and logic second. Athletic directors are going to complain that someone else is making more money always, forever. Alabama is right now grousing about some sort of cost-related issue, I guarantee you, and they're richer than four foot up a bull's ass. Okay, this is always going to happen. This is why Texas, this is why Texas wanted to be autonomous so they did not have to shave a single million dollars off of anything that they <laughs> they deemed that they were worth to hand to the Iowa states of the world. Athletic directors are going to complain about money forever. To me right now, obviously quoting um uh, Ray Anderson, Arizona State's Ray Anderson, to support your point, uh, not only an athletic director, but that athletic director who just needs to not talk for a little while in my eyes. Uh, that's not going to that's not going to help your cause. But no, like the the part where I, I really the, those bullet points, number one was Aranda and two point five million, which was just weird. The second one was saying that. Uh, Pac-12 schools average 30.9 million in annual revenue. The SEC, meanwhile, is at 41. That 10, he says that $10 million difference could be the difference in paying a top-notch coach. <laughs> and then note uh, in parentheses, uh, UCLA's Chip Kelly and Stanford's David Shaw are among the top ten um, are, are among the top ten among highest-paid coaches. Or in other words, one fifth of the Power Five. Uh, top 10 coaches is represented or top 10 well-paid coaches is represented by one fifth of the power five conferences, the past 12, like that kind of, that shot it down. And also we have to point out USC is a private school and, and therefore their compensation system is a little different. USC is the historic powerhouse of your conference. If they were not a private school, you would see spending for their coaches and facilities on par with maybe not Texas, but, but uh, you know, uh, the SEC stalwarts, maybe Ohio State, Michigan, that kind of level. They just do things a little different in LA. 
And they could have spent more uh, than they did uh, when they brought Clay Helton to town. Like they could have gone after a big name and, and overpaid. We know they're capable of that. And, and we know that Washington would be more than willing to pay Chris Peterson a top 10 salary as well if he, you know, cared. <laughs> but he doesn't. I, for all I know, he makes like $11 a year. Like, I, I mean, that doesn't seem to be the Chris P- Peterson thing. But check, check the quote at the end, too, from Anderson. Is, is that gap going to become $20 million in the not too distant future? Anderson asked. Do you know what Anderson's previous job? job was bill agent he was an agent and that sounds like the most agent ass question in the world i mean it might be the answer might be yes but that's still again if we're talking it's you're still making 30 million dollars a team you're not making two million dollars a team so um dodd goes on to mention the fbi scrutiny for usc in arizona uh you know whatever blow that out your ass personally i don't think that has any bearing or 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 I mean, look, the, that FBI scandal is starting to to, to struggle. Under right, the, that wasn't a Pac-12 um, specific scandal. Yeah, not not in the least bit. Um, to me, that's just that's kind of piling on. So, um, okay, so chances have, are, Bill, the Pac-12 is not going to die anytime soon. No, but you know, and this is something I've mentioned a couple times, or we've mentioned a couple times. Like, there's no question that it it feels a little more vulnerable now than it did a couple of years ago. And and as I've said before, like we all are kind of picking on Larry Scott because a lot of the big, bold moves that we were all complimenting him for a few years ago, because they were fun, you know, they, they aren't necessarily working yet or not to any major degree. I noticed by the way, Cal has like a Japanese defensive tackle and a, and like a New Zealand, uh, somebody else from New Zealand. So apparently, you know, that exposure is working in some ways. But um, all this experimentation is experimentation, first of all. And and because the Pac-12 is always going to have to figure out different ways of doing business because they're far away from everybody else. That's why, you know, they don't have the options, uh, the expansion options that other conferences would. Like if if, if the SEC tomorrow announced uh, that it was expanding to 16 teams, we could very quickly come up with like a bunch of really, really impressive programs that, that might be making the move or a lot of other solid programs that, you know, the West Virginia level programs that uh, maybe they're interested or whatever with the PAC 12. It's like, well, they're either going into Texas or they're taking somebody from the Mountain West because they're just geography is still a thing to some degree. And their options are always going to be limited if they're going to make as much money as, as the, you know, the extremely football obsessed SEC. They're going to have to get weird and they got weird. Some of it's worked. A lot of it hasn't. They're always going to have to get weird, though. That's just kind of the name of the game here. Um, but like I said, we, you know, I actually hold on. I think there's a question that somebody asked. Um, a PAP yeah, question, so, by the way, this is a podcast. I played nobody. Yeah, it's called yeah, football ahead, marriage of numbers of words. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey as you, as we join this, this hollering session about the PAC 12 in media rest. That's the robot bill Connolly. He does the numbers and thinking on this show. You can reach him at SBN underscore bill C. He wrote a couple books. He is the inventor and proprietor of the S and P plus analytics you system. You down, by the way? No, or, I'm you just I'm, you use the same words every week. And I'm impressed. I'm staring at my toe right now. Um, barefoot this week. Sexy. Oh, wow. um, uh, well, you screwed it up now. <laughs> He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system, of which you can find over at Football Study Hall. Um, last week I asked you, yeah, you're still running Rocky Nation. He does a lot. I do a little. We make it work. You make um, TV. Allegedly. Um, okay. There are a couple of other things I want to hit on because, by the way, in the interest of synergy, this wasn't just a random hollering 
Uh, Bill is starting the Pac-12 preview on his jaunt through the entirety of college football throughout the offseason. Uh, you just put up the Oregon State post. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on here. Although that does remind me there's another funny line of Dennis's. I'm going to have to like, buy him a drink after this. Um, he said the league is staking its comeback on five new coaches. Kelly. Uh, yes, I would agree. Kevin Sumlin. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Great, great hire. Great place. Totally makes sense to me. Uh, Edwards. Moving on. Mario Cristobal at Oregon. I think it's going to be a good hire. And Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. No, no, no one has ever staked anything on Oregon State in the Pac-12. It ain't baseball season, bro. Sorry. It is funny, by the way, going to our our friends over at buildingthedam.com, I was trying to check the team sites for any last-second updates before the previews go up, especially in this case where, as I mentioned last week, I've been working ahead. I wrote wrote this like a week ago because I've been trying to work ahead so where the Pac-12 previews go on continuously, even though I'm going to be out next week. Um so, but anyway, like check buildingthedam.com, a lovely Oregon State site uh, for any football news. And I had to scroll pretty far because like the top 38 stories are baseball, which I mean, congrats. I, I like, you know, I wish that Rock M was uh, that impressive with its baseball coverage. But um, no, look, we, we talked about this last week. I, it, it, you can go one of two ways with Oregon State. You can get weird or go national or whatever. Like, and, and obviously, we talked about Kennedy Matalolo. Every single time one of these jobs opens up, we talk about Kennedy Matalolo. And um, I would have been all for that. But the approach of basically say, putting, uh, you know, having a guy who has coached on Northwestern football programs, on the staffs of Northwestern po- football programs that have won a lot of games, um, and, and having studied at the, at the foot of, of Chris Peterson for like the last, however many years at both Boise state and Washington, like if any, if anybody's going to know how to make something out of nothing up there without just getting weird and going all triple option. Like, I kind of like what Jonathan, I like the Smith hire and I like the, um, the higher, a lot of the hires he made, he did focus a lot on the Pacific Northwest. Like he's going to recruit Texas. He's going to recruit, uh, Hawaii, <laughs> which, yeah, that's, that's, he, he might've accidentally, uh, very some, somewhat illegally recruited Hawaii last week, uh, with that mailing that went out that he caught a lot of hell for. But, um, like it, it makes, there's at least logic to the hire of him and then his hires as well. And at this stage in the game where you got a program, where it's really going to take a couple of years to get anywhere, no matter who you are like, that's I'll go with that. I, this, the hire was logical and now we'll see where he does, uh, where he goes in the next couple of years. It all comes. Back I know you it, want again. No, no, no. It all comes back to the existential <laughs> nonsense. We don't, we we in this culture how long has your alma mater been in the sec now four years five years um whatever six it doesn't matter we don't really like you um well i don't like you so whatever <laughs> this is the sec in the big 10 this is the sport bill which is fair to say yeah. and then and then a cross section of the acc right take out the lacrosse and basketball schools i'm not being pithy i'm serious that's college football and then you throw in Texas and Oklahoma and that is the that's the base okay that's 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 the the history of the sport that's the the zeitgeist that's where the decision makers come from that's where people go to seek the stupid amount of money that's spent in those really it's a power too. I would, I would argue back to Dennis. It's never going to be a power four because if you want to look at cracks in the PAC 12 relative to the power four, you sure as hell better look at cracks in the ACC and the, and the, by the way, how did we get off talking about the big 12? Okay. 
Like Because for, for one year in a row, the Big 12 has been better than the Pac-12. They have been driving a stolen car with a lawnmower engine in it for like five years now. That they're go- It's going to break down, all right? Drive it off of a cliff already. Sorry, <laughs> it blows my mind that we're sitting here talking about the Pac-12 and like n- there hasn't been an iota of stability in the middle of Texas. The it, present is the future. So bizarre. Um, we have to stop applying the terms and conditions of the culture of college football in in Tennessee and Missouri and Michigan and Florida to west of the Rockies. It's never, <laughs> ever going to be the same thing. And in the same breath, literally, as I'm running out of oxygen screaming – that doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make it wrong, and it doesn't even make it inferior, in my opinion. My entire read, like, like the reason why I evangelize on behalf of this crooked, terrible sport, is that it can create tribalism anywhere in the United States and beyond. Right? That's the point of this damn thing. That's what mm. we celebrate. That's why we like it. I don't understand our fascination, which extends well into the media, of looking at the Pac-12. And saying, wrong, stupid, not like us. Let me tell you something. If Larry Scott had decided instead of building this Parthenon-ass, you know, web startup-looking <laughs> office across from the Giants Park in San Francisco, I've been there. It's lovely. They fed me a burrito. Um, if they if they went through the most traditional good old boy, John Swafford, Mike's live ass move possible and just laid down and gave Fox or ESPN or one of those entities, the same deal that created the big 10 and sec networks, spoiler alert, we'd be in the same damn situation. The concept of a traditional cable channel is not going to draw the same interest in revenue because of, because of the culture and because of the consumer habits of those who populate the fan bases in the Pac-12, and that doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't mean they care less. They're just different. So the problem, really, for the Pac-12 has been that the the way we the way we create revenue and the way that we evaluate success, all of those systems were built in the Southeast and the Midwest, and those places are not like California and Washington. They're never going to be. That's the real problem here. Now, there's just always going to be an isolation because yes. of geography. I mean, that's and because of time zones, basically, um, it's always going to be harder for the Pac-12. It doesn't make and it doesn't uh, make Stanford bad at football. It doesn't make Washington bad at football. It doesn't make USC or Oregon bad at football. It doesn't. At the moment, it makes Oregon State bad at football, but that could that I, hasn't always been the case. I don't know. The way Oregon State's run things the last couple of years, you could have put them in Central Arkansas, and I think some of the same issues would have come up. Um, the Pac-12 is going to be fine. They're never going to make more money than the SEC or the Big Ten, but I'm telling you this for a fact. They will win a national championship again. They will produce teams that will compete at the highest levels. They will draw major talent. They still have Los Angeles. They still have the entirety of California. And one of the things that's touched on briefly in this point, as well as several others, is, well, there's just more people in the Midwest. I mean, look at what the Big Ten did. They were able to pull in. They were were able to make strategic moves like Rutgers and Maryland, which is another, let me pause for a second, inside of a complaint and complain. That's still a stupid move, okay? Years later, we just live with that, all right? 
We just live with that. You got a tattoo on your neck named Rutgers. That is not washing off. That was a really stupid move. And once the idea of DMA and television markets don't exist, as we continue to change how we consume media, you got that Rutgers forever, bro. There is not enough penicillin to get rid of that. Anyway. Penicillin, get rid of tattoos. Anyway. The Midwest is losing population consistently and has been for years. They're usually moving to wherever I live, as I've noticed from all the Michigan and Ohio State stickers in my neighborhood or or flags. I mean, people still move to California. People are still moving to the Pacific Northwest. I've been to Portland. It's filled with all of the other a-holes from other cities trying to be Portland. Now we'd those people made the, we would probably move to the Pacific Northwest ourselves, except my wife read that that tsunami story from a few years ago, and therefore is never going to touch set foot in the uh, in the Pacific Northwest. But anyway, doesn't Missouri get earthquakes? Missouri Missouri doesn't get earthquakes, but yeah, but the New Madrid fault line is supposedly Madrid. one day it's going to rupture and and everything's going to go crazy. But we don't get like it's not Oklahoma. We don't get like daily low rumbles. It's going to be all or nothing with when it comes to earthquakes in Oklahoma or in Missouri. Jed Courage at Courage Jed asks Oregon State is a hard job what makes it that way other than the fact that it's in Oregon what are realistic expectations for Jonathan Smith and his staff we'll use this as a bridge question okay so isolation and money like that you know every school in the country has a nice base of hardcore fans but Oregon State's is not going to be as big um and Corvallis is not very big and there's not a lot of uh, there's really a minimal base of like heavy talent. You have to go to Hawaii and Texas and Los Angeles uh, and that's always going to make it hard. And like if you recall, uh, if you if you scale back a little bit, Oregon was every bit as hard a job as Oregon State into the 80s. I mean, they had um, let's see, I just pulled up their records. They had a decent run uh, under uh, uh, the wonderfully named Len Casanova in the the 1950s and 60s. They bottomed out for quite a while. They returned to decent play. They they got decent before Oregon State did in the the mid-80s with uh, Rich Brooks. He was able to at least get them to five, six, seven, eight wins a year. Um, and then, uh, Mr. Money stepped in, uh, uh, Alan from Nike stepped in and, um, that changed everything. The reason Oregon is Oregon is because our night, not Alan, geez, good Lord. Who am I? Oh, I'm thinking of the Seattle dude. Yeah. Uh, night, obviously, um, from Nike stepped in and transformed that program. That's Paul why they're, Alan. <laughs> that's why they're, uh, good now is because they were decent and got his attention and he started spending lots and lots of money. Um, And unfortunately, Oregon State doesn't have that wealthy benefactor. Some of that Nike money has trickled down, but not to any massive degree. And so they're stuck with all the the limitations of being in a small town in Oregon uh, without any of the massive money to bail them out. So it's always going to be a hard job for that reason. We've seen that they can be, uh, you know, that you can succeed because they've done it. Uh, you know, Dennis Erickson did it. And then, uh, well, actually, you know, first Mike Riley started, uh, you know, laid the foundation. Dennis Erickson rolled in and won a bunch of games. Mike Riley took back over and had the most consistent decade they've ever had in the 2000s uh, and then trailed off because hard jobs are always going to be hard. Mm-hmm. It's never not going to be hard, but it's not impossible, I think, is what we're right. saying. Uh, Jake Smith at Jake Smith for real asks, there's a question for you, Billiam. Which P5 team breaks out of the S&P plus, one, uh, S&P plus <laughs> 100s, Kansas or Oregon State? Jake is a Kansas fan, and I like that level of angst. 
<laughs> so this, if, if, if we're, if the premise is that this year, one of them is going to do it, uh, it's going to be Kansas because Oregon state really is kind of, you know, stripping the parts down here, uh, and then rebuilding from scratch, uh, Kansas, not that Kansas is ever that far from scratch, but um, I would say they're at least probably going to, they have more potential this year. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just talking, like, I don't think either one of them is going to break out of the hundreds this year. So generally speaking, you would maybe say that historically Oregon state has more recently been decent. So maybe that means they have a better shot overall. But if, it, if the premise is that one of these teams is going to be better this year and, and be- better than uh, what, at least 31 of the other FBS teams, it'll probably be Kansas. Bill, a yes. word from the sponsor. We have a sponsor this week. It's for hymns again. Just for hymns. It's not called for hymns again. Uh, Bill, did you know the 66% of those classified male in our country lose their hair by age 35? And when you start to notice, it's too late. I like this. It's like a movie trailer. Except sure. there's no monster or Thanos. It's just male pattern baldness. Um, if you have a bald spot, if you have the receding hairline, if you have the um, if you have the crowning, those are all solutions that 4hims.com wants to help you take care of. Um, they also do skincare and sexual wellness. And let me get real very much in the baritone there to imply the sexual congress part of sexual wellness. Um, but thanks to science, baldness can be optional. 4hims is a service basically that connects you with a real doctor and uses real medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. Um, so basically there's generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions because that also helps the old pocketbook if you're trying to save your trying to save the old hair on your skull. Uh, these are not snake oil. These are not you know, herbal remedies or anything like that. These are prescription solutions backed by science. There's no waiting room. There's anonymity. You don't have to go out in public to solve this problem. Uh, you answer a few quick questions, and then that's basically it. Now, if you are listening to the podcast Ain't Played Nobody and you would like to take this, uh, this four hymns up on their offer, you can get a trial month for hymns for just $5. You can get $5 today while supplies last. Go to the website forhims.com again that's forhims.com um this would normally cost hundreds of dollars if you go through the traditional medical route of seeing your doctor or going to a regular pharmacy uh one more time forhims.com and the special offer for the five dollars is forhims.com slash nobody as in podcast name play nobody so forhims.com slash nobody you know who would actually really like forhims.com who's that Thanos. He's just look, he's just looking for some peace and quiet, man. He's just looking for Thanos, some quiet. Yes. Thanos, if you're listening, I hope you enjoy our analysis of college football. Please do something about that salad. All right, let's just stay with it right now. Justin Bean at Darth Bean eighteen asks, "How long will Mike Leach stay at Wazoo? Can anyone successfully hire him away? And does anyone want to?" Parentheses. Sorry, Tennessee. Um, this is probably it. Uh, we've talked about this. Um. I'm, I think I'm kind of on the record as saying I think this is his last year in Pullman, and I prob I think it's probably his last year as a head coach. Really? Yeah, I think this is about it. Um, well, my my counterpoint would be like, do you think he's going to retire, or do you think he's going to be like an offensive coordinator or something? I think in the Blade Runner sense, he will be retired. I think the well, I mean, as we as his uh, former boss Hal Mummy has proven, like if you go down far enough, you can find somebody 
willing to make you head coach. So even if he has to go down a little bit, I, I can't see any scenario where if he wants to be a head coach, he doesn't still get to be a head coach. Maybe even at the FBS level, there's he's done good things at Washington State. He's a pain and you get tired of him after a while, but uh, he's done very good things as a head coach. And that ends up meaning more than whether you're a pain or not. They turn over so, a lot. They've lost a ton of assistance. They lost a really good defensive coordinator who didn't get near as much attention as he probably should have. Um, and then also, uh, he's lost his AD and that's a big deal when you're Mike Leach. So just going to throw all that there, throw all of that out there as food for thought. Now I know there's some fiscal issues going on right now at Washington state right. and they are in the red. So probably the last thing they want to do is buy someone out and then pay someone new. So that might be his saving grace. If he can keep it around 500, I just don't know if that's going to happen. No, and I, I mean, I really, he, he's won what, tw- 26 games the last three years. He's, he's done a very good job there. So maybe we're not giving him up enough credit to, th- to think that he doesn't have enough goodwill stored up to survive a bad year. It's, it's quite possibly going to be a bad year. Not, you know, they, they lose a lot like on, on, on the two deep. Um, but I'm not even really, I can't ever be worried about their offensive necessarily, but yeah, the staff turnover and, and, and everything that's happened this off season has been, it, it's hard not to see this being a bad year, but between the money issues and the fact that he's averaged almost nine wins a year, the last three years, I, I think he's got more goodwill than maybe we think stored up, but, um, at Tiger, Matt, obviously he could be hired away at Tiger Matt asks, given the chatter around the PAC 12 is late. Uh, what scenarios do exist for a P5 conference drop-off? Short of disappearing via convergence, what does that actually look like? I think it has to be convergence because of the television contracts, as as they stand now with everyone due for renewal starting around 22 going into 24, um, right. unless there was a giant absorption somehow where like two power fives, eight, the Pac-12 and half each that I, I just don't, I don't see how it would happen. Um, so there is no, there really is no scenario for this. They could continue to lose games and take criticism as they have. But it, we, again, we don't define, we don't define the power five by winning and losing. We define the power five by the m- amount of money that they make. And they're still making, uh, like we said, a, a pretty ridiculous amount of money. I do think that it's going to be interesting watching. I don't know whether to call it a game of chicken or not, but the PAC 12 and and big 12 are going to be massive stories as that, as we approach that grant of rights situation. And if uh, whatever TV money issues that the PAC 12 is having right now, if they don't get better, like, I mean, again, there's a reason why they're not great, but if they don't get better, if there isn't kind of a satisfactory long-term plan in place, I do think it's going to be a situation where, you know, you, you mentioned the Pac-12 maybe trying to add like a Houston or somebody. Well, they're, they're certainly going to be interested if the Big 12 here in a few years begins to look like it's going to fall apart again. Um, because obviously you could start to look at a Texas situation at that point. Um, so, I mean, the Pac-12 is going to be eyeing the Big 12. The Big 12 is going to be eyeing the Pac-12 because that would be a lovely way to save yourself. Um, so I, I do think there could be that that storyline of, of these two trying to see which one's going to die first. Um, plus there's the whole, maybe USC goes independent, maybe Texas goes independent thing that, that just kind of always hovers and, and isn't very far away. Chances are th- nothing massive happens, but I do think that there's a, you know, that, that 20, whatever it was, 2022 window or whatever, there is an opportunity for something crazy to happen. Um, even if the odds aren't, great. uh, the, the things that you need for, for madness to ensue, um, I think are two things you would need someone to get back all their grant of rights. And the, we see that first happen in the big 12. And then you would need, I think a dynamic new 
uh, revenue generator to enter the conversation. What we think that would be are the are the Silicon Valley entities, the uh, Amazons and Facebooks and those type of deals that would challenge or up in the revenue models that are built by television contracts. Otherwise, it may just all be pretty predictable that people re-up, that, you know, ESPN Plus by that point would still be, you know, past proof of concept still operating where people are paying ESPN on top of what they would pay ESPN in their cable bill for a, a particular tier or additional amount of content. And maybe that drives revenue enough to where they fold ESPN plus into the deal for one of these conferences. Um, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that it's going to be some mixture thereof and, and the, the structure of these deals is going to change tremendously. And I think I still bet maybe this is where I do have sympathy for the PAC 12. I still think that it was a progressive move on Larry Scott's part to hang on to that IP and to hang on to the rights to a lot of their own product. And while it's been really expensive to produce it on their own and distribute it on their own without agreements from places like DirecTV, I think the ability to own and sell or lease or license your own stuff is a better revenue system. It's a better structure for the future. Um, given the way that we're moving and how we're how we generate revenue as content providers, and we even see this at SB Nation and and Vox Media. This is just how the future is, is looking like it's going to shape up. So um, you just have to have yeah. you've got to find someone who's willing to pay the kind of money that ESPN and Fox pay, um, and that hasn't happened yet. Now again, we just we keep watching the way like Amazon did Thursday Night Football last year for the NFL. We keep watching Facebook get more and more interested and interactive with the stadium stuff and and what they did with Conference USA last year. Um, We're creeping towards that area. It's just we haven't seen the the big fat checks that come along with it just yet. So this is not anything that's unique to college sports, to sports. This is just what's going on in the the digital age period, full stop. So it's not. And I think the Pac-12 is always going to be a little more willing to experiment too um for you know with all the upside or downside that comes with that i think there'll be uh you know if there's a deal if one of the p5s makes a deal with amazon uh moving forward it's it's almost certainly going to be the pac-12 that does it let's put it that way bill do you want to stay inside the pac-12 for a second you want to talk yeah, some more about a few it? more questions we might as well continue this theme a little bit um one that just popped up our boy shikar gupta asks uh, Clay Helton is not who many SC fans, USC fans wanted as their coach. I think he's good for the program, but that's a minority view. Uh, he, he was not many who wanted largely because people want Pete Carroll 2.0. What are your opinions of coach Helton in the post Kiffin slash Sark era and USC's long-term trajectory? We, we obviously talk about this here and there. Um, but I did want to, uh, mention, like we talk a lot about, one of the ways I try to frame the quality of certain jobs is like if, if you, you only need a good hire to be great or you, you only need a decent hire to be good. Um, and then other programs are, are the opposite. Sometimes you have to make a great hire just to be good. Oregon State. Um, Clay Helton's a good example of like I think he's decent to good. I don't know how much more I'm willing to say than that just yet. I did feel like, as we've discussed many times, I've, I did feel like that was a, the, the, the desire, the ongoing obsession over getting USC experience for the USC job when Pete Carroll himself had no USC experience before he was hired. Um, I think that's, that, that limits the pool of candidates and, and, 
doesn't do you any favors when you have a national name and you could bring in whoever you want or not whoever you wanted, but a lot of guys. So I think Helton's only decent to good, but at USC, that means you can be good to great. And, you know, he's 21 and six over the last few years and it feels disappointing. That's how good the USC job is. Uh, he's only decent to good and he's won 21 games in two years. So, um, I, you know, I thought they could have done better. I, I don't have any specific names to tie to that, but he's at least decent and he'll continue to be decent to you know, good to great. Therefore on the field seagulls double zero asks, given the PAC 12's relative pro- proclivity for academic prestige, what type of success would SMU need to have over the next couple of seasons to become at least as <laughs> desirable as Houston to the conference, if not more. And do you think that level of success is feasible? Uh, I do flock of seagulls. I don't think there's anything necessarily stopping uh, SMU. Uh, it's easier to get a kid qualified at Houston. Um, SMU is an expensive school, but I don't think that matters because Cal Berkeley and Stanford ain't cheap. Um, right. It's an interesting idea. I don't, I don't know. I think, oh, I mean, I, I know why look, Houston, Houston got into an aggressive PR mode. They had the big flashy hire in Tom Herman. They won games like Oklahoma and Florida state. That's why we're talking about them. And we're not talking about SMU. I don't know if all of that is necessarily possible in the next two to three years for SMU to just suddenly build an audition piece of that level. I think they haven't scheduled the way Houston has scheduled and having those big time chances. So um, I think you'd have to go on a run. You'd have to have like probably two kind of Boise level seasons and then really start recruiting and turning heads and recruiting uh, with Sonny Dykes and and making big moves in Texas. Um, I do think the PAC 12 is interested in the state of Texas SMU. um, I don't know if it makes as much sense as Houston, but it's definitely a good argument. There's, there's something to be said there. Yeah, I um oh, and first of all, you know, the whole relative proclivity for academic prestige thing. Uh never forget that they added Arizona and Arizona State in the uh-huh. 70s. So, not to speak outright ill of those schools, that's a better education than you can get in a lot of places. It's not Stanford. Uh, so they you know, they're they're not going to be holding out for Stanford, a new Stanford. Um so just keep that in mind at all times. But it is interesting to think about like if the next big bold move, if in a few years when it's time to reassess some things, if Larry Scott decides, Larry Scott and company decide, we need to get into Texas no matter what. We're, or even like, we're expanding to 16. Who are we going to get? Um, it is interesting, or at least 14. It is interesting to think about, like, what if Houston kind of bottom doesn't, doesn't keep up its same level under Major Applewhite? Do, are they still, have they built that brand enough to stay at the top of the list no matter what? And if they haven't, then what do you do if you're the Pac-12? Are you going to go with just a couple of the the AAC level Texas schools after you try and fail to poach like, you know, Texas tech or whatever, or TCU Mm -hmm. or something. Um, Or, or do you like, what, what do you do if you decide you need more teams and you need to get into Texas, but the big 12 isn't falling apart? Uh, Yeah. I think you have to look at the, at the G five Texas programs. Um, And when you evaluate those, it's a pretty short list as as a, you know, for what you're looking for. I know UTEP's closer, but let's you know, let's be honest. So, um, <laughs> are you ready to pivot? Yeah, after I say uh, University of Monterey to the Pac-12. Okay. Anyway, now? Um, all right. Yeah, I got a save order go. for you. It's a pretty good one. Um, user Gus underscore Weedacamp underscore twenty three. Make it shorter next time, Gus. Uh, ask PAPN. Save it or saving national titles. 
or Lane Kiffin years at FAU from this point forward? National titles. National titles. Got to be national titles. Conventional wisdom is that Lane Kiffin is done at any second now at FAU. <laughs> any second now. Um, this is the part where everyone asks me what job is opening that Lane Kiffin is going to take. Um, it is very much May, um, and we never know exactly who's going to implode and why. Um, you know what's weird? Let me just pause for a second because I like this question. I, we, we both agree on it. But the problem is if we just jump out and say, yeah, Lane Kiffin's out of there, everyone's going to say, well, okay, where's he going? Every year now there's an opening that we didn't know about in May in like the fourth week of the season. It's really almost impossible to predict. But somewhere in the Power Five right now is a program that will fire their coach, have a scandal with their coach, coach up and retire. Shout out Steve Spurrier. Moves to the NFL. Like something's going to happen before like October 15th. And we have absolutely no idea who it is right now. If I gar- if I tried to make a guess, I would probably be totally wrong and piss off some fan base. But it's going to happen and it's going to happen in the Power 5 and then right. because it's going to happen, it's also going to kind of spur other programs to make moves that maybe they would have been a little bit more hesitant about. It's just weird how these things work, but that's that's exactly what's going to happen. So, yeah, I do think Lane's going to leave and no, I don't know where he's going yet. I kind of have some half-assed ideas, but you know, nothing I'd hang a sh- you know, nothing I'd put a shingle on right now because I'd probably just sound like an a-hole. <laughs> and I mean, he could you know, there are going to be reservations because he's Lane Kiffin, but every year that he wins big and doesn't get into trouble, uh, people will become more willing to overlook that. There is uh, one program that popped into my mind and just to create a beautiful segue and also to give okay. a shout out to the single greatest, every SB nation, every, every, every SB nation team site has a, an individual logo, like a little crest, right, Bill? We got those, what, five, six years ago. It's been a while now. Um, yeah. the smoking musket, the West Virginia blog has hands down the most badass logo possible, which is just two mo- muskets crossed with a little bit of smoke coming up. Um, I would wear that on a t-shirt in a heartbeat. My favorite team side, of course, the Falcoholic looks like our logo crying. So it's perfect, <laughs> but it's not necessarily something I want to see. Um, so the old smoke, uh, smoking musket, by the way, boys, if you have some t-shirts, holler, holler at your, uh, at your SB Nation staff writer friend. How likely is it that this is Holgo's last year at West Virginia? I feel like we're either starting, uh, excuse me, staring at A, average again because of a lack of defensive depth for the fifth year in a row, or B, Big 12 championship and a bigger job. This may be better served in the Big in the Big 12 previews, but I'm here. Hmm. <laughs> um, so Lane Kiffin comes to mind if there's an opening in Morgantown. The way people have talked about Morgantown in the offseason is, Kind of the same way that Smoking Muskets talking about it. It's either a six and six, seven and five failure, and it's time to get rid of Dana Holgerson because this, this will probably be his most talented team. Uh, or the reverse happens: they're eleven and one, and he gets the hell out of, and and goes somewhere else. Where would he go first? Let me start with that. Where do you think it's the Dana same would go? problem as Lane Kiffin? Dana, right. I, I think Dana Holgerson wants to be home, and he and and home would be in the Texas Oklahoma you know, big 12 sphere. So right off the top of the, I mean, I, I can go through all the jobs and M just made a hire. Texas isn't getting rid of Tom Herman this year and they're not hiring Dana Holgerson probably ever. Uh, Baylor's doing their own thing consistently. I think 
Dana Holgerson would go to Texas Tech. And I yep. think Texas Tech might be making a move. Um, I think that Holgerson is tired of being in West Virginia. I think all the things when I stare him in the eye every time I go to our Big 12 media days and say, how much has the geography been an issue? And he looks and he goes, geography's not an issue at all. It's just about playing football three hours a week. I know that that's not true. <laughs> and I think I think all of this gives him a chance to get away from some of the issues at West Virginia and go home. Um, now, do you put Lane Kiffin in Morgantown? This crazy oh, yeah. son of a bitch does. Yeah. No. All right. I, uh, and but yeah, I think that makes it interesting with Dana though is that you know the quote unquote leaving for better bigger jobs thing. I, I don't know what a bigger job would be that would. Uh, I mean, unless we're thinking like NFL offensive coordinator or something, which I doubt. Um, that job has to exist for him to leave for it. So unless it's like a lateral kind of within the big 12 move, I don't really know what his options would be. It does feel like, I mean, there's no question the marriage is a little stale for them Mm -hmm. at the moment where it just kind of feels like every year around this time, you're thinking, all right, might be the last year. And then he wins just, you know, he wins eight to seven to 10 games basically. And then you do it all over again next year. All right, maybe this is the year he fails. Uh, And so usually sometimes you can find that, you know, that, that energy again and kickstart that relationship all over again. But usually that means eventually, among other things, you might make a lateral move just to kind of start over, and that, that could be what happens here. Well, look, the best, the best thing that could happen is that Houston does get into the Pac-12 in the Pac-14 or 16, and then they hire Dana Olgerson. And then he's, yeah. then he's the far-flung school on the East again, but he's home in Texas, but he's having to play all of his games on the West Coast. I think that's probably the, the best coolest most papn thing possible for the situation he's a very pac 12 after dark kind of guy i'm all for that at kyle and mike asks would alex hornybrook have more hype if he was a quarterback from cal or stanford than if he was oh, kyle come on kyle um long papn listener occasional dmer uh, of mine uh who really 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 likes alex hornybrook um and I say I, I support him in his endeavor to a certain degree. I think that Hornybrook is extremely underrated. Um, he's viewed as like every single negative stereotype uh, that a, a Wisconsin quarterback has ever had. But if you look at last year, he made it like he well, he threw for four like four touchdowns against Miami. Um, he, he, when he was asked to make plays last year, he made a lot of them, even against Michigan. He struggled a good percentage of the game. They made like three, two or three big throws that changed the game. Um, I think he is better than the average Wisconsin quarterback. So uh, there, there you go, Kyle, you have that, but like Cal or Stanford, come on, what are we, what are we doing here? Tempo free gridiron tried to break my favorite segment of the off season and he should be banned and made fun of accordingly. He asks, isn't every Saban or really just the over under line is two and a half? And are you taking the over under? (laughs) No, no, it's not. Because sometimes I'm thinking about Saban national titles as three or more. Dick. Um, He also has two more Saban questions technically that are all, they're both really good. Um, I'm going to ask you this one first. Uh, which is the better coaching career path today? You ready? Start at a lesser G5, go to a prominent G5, go to a lesser P5, and then a prominent P5, or start at a lesser G5, become a Saban coordinator, go to a prominent <laughs> P5. The problem with that is twofold. One, the uh, the first option is the old school way of doing business, and it's not going to happen anymore because the first one I'm thinking of right now is Urban Meyer. Lesser G5 Bowling Green, prominent G5 Utah, 
lesser P5. Oh, wait, I just turned I just turned Florida into a lesser P5. Let's go with it. <laughs> just go with it. Lesser P5 Florida, prominent P5 Ohio State. Okay, so that one didn't work perfectly, but it's still funny. Um, <laughs> lesser G5 to saving coordinator. Um, lesser G5 head coach uh, usually doesn't become a saving coordinator. I think the, and tempo free gridiron, you know what? You played yourself. Because his, his name is Justin. By the I don't way, care, so just, Justin. You, you played yourself because your other question is which P5 coach to get fired this year is going to end up as a saving coordinator <laughs> in the 2019 season. That's a good question. Um, who's their OC right now? They just hired the guy from New England. No, that was last year. They held Dable and he's already off that's to, right, to the that's Bills. Right, that's so right. Who did they hire? That's right. Mike Loxley's from. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got your answer right here. You ready? You ready for this? Let's let's go. Cliff Kingsbury. Don't <laughs> laugh. Don't laugh. Don't tease me. Don't tease me do with that because that's in my head. Do you now. know what Cliff Kingsbury was doing the night that I was dry heaving in Houston? Weekly Super Bowl reference. Cliff Kingsbury was partying with the New England Patriots. Do you know who the New England Patriots front office coaches, even personnel, are friends with? Nick Saban, Alabama. Last I heard, yeah. Okay. You heard it here first. He's going to be a prettier, more agreeable Lane Kiffin on that sideline. You heard, just, just look, file it away. Look, you better, like, you better be right. Is all I'm going to say. Why? That, well, because now it's in my head, and I want it to happen. So you better be right. Cliff um, Kingsbury has already been an offensive coordinator. Actually, was he just a quarterbacks coach when he was at A and M with Johnny? No, he was. I'm pretty sure he was OC. Okay, there you go. So it's already happened. Sorry. Uh, by the way, circling back to his first thing, um, if you take Saban coordinator out of the and just uh, like so, lesser G five and P five. Well, that's the problem right. in coaching today. Well, that's like right, last year's coaching carousel went, uh, skewed a lot more toward power conference coordinator than mid major head coach, um, and so that makes it kind of it's one year, and like we were saying, it's Pac twelve. I'm not going to overreact and call it the new normal, but yeah. if it happens a couple more times, it's going to be really interesting to see what coaches do about it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, Bill. I think we're rushing along. I think these millennial coaches today, they don't take enough time to, to learn the ropes. Maybe they just have their face in their phones all day. Maybe. Like they just don't, they're just impatient. Maybe it's because I just got done writing a 13,000 word story about the NCAA in Mississippi, starring one Hugh freeze who went all the way, all the way from Lambeth to one year at Arkansas state to trying to cheat and not being able to understand how to cheat and in the SEC West, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what's coloring my attitude. Um, all right, let's continue to jump. Um, you know what? Let's stay weirdly on our Big Twelve preview here. Hamilton asks, "What two teams are going to be in the Big Twelve championship game?" It seems like the playing field is much more level with Mayfield gone. Plus, teams like West Virginia and Iowa State continually getting better. God bless you, Hamilton, for thinking that Iowa State has a puncher's chance at winning the conference. You are a sweet, sweet boy. I mean, they did last year until like a couple weeks before. Well, that's not going to happen. Um, uh, off the top of your head, do you want to do one or what? Well, I mean, yes, it gets the playing field gets more even, but I, I don't want anybody to overreact to. Well, Oklahoma is still at the top of the totem yep. pole. Uh, that they were they were far enough ahead of everybody else last year that they get that benefit of the doubt for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and and so you know they're. 
they're in. I mean, until noted otherwise, they're in the title game in my eyes. But that second team does become very interesting because Oklahoma State, obviously they lose some some passing and receiving talent. But guess what? They're still going to be prolific and they're still going to have a chance. Uh, TCU could be in pretty good shape uh, if they figure out if they have a quarterback. Texas. This little, this little uh, up-and-coming team from Austin. Uh, I think they were uh, orange of some shade. I don't remember which. Um, Texas could be, uh, if the offense improves to just above average, their defense could be dynamite, and that could be a very good team. Um, now, granted, they lose the best pun- punter in the in the universe, yeah. um, and and that could be an issue because now that not because now you have to get an extra first down per drive just to account for your punter being mm-hmm. gone. But um, there, it, let's not pretend Texas isn't that far. All away. I want is two teams to play each other in the last week of the season to have to turn around and play each other again in Arlington. That's all I want. <laughs> so not over yeah, Texas. I don't care. Okay. I really don't care. So who does West Virginia have on their schedule? Right, last week. I was about to say I'm pulling up the schedule now. Um, let's just let's just pencil. Is it Baylor? For, it's probably Baylor. West Virginia. Their schedule is Baylor uh, ending with Oklahoma. Oh hey. Damn, actually, that just went from a joke to a distinct possibility. <laughs> I'm not I, like I, I West Virginia still needs to prove a lot to me. I don't want to overestimate their chances, but Greer was better, was even better than I thought he might be last year. So they're going to have a chance. But I would say gut says TCU has the best chance right now. Look, uh, just, for clar- just for clarity, I'm just going to interrupt Bill and speak for him real fast. We like West Virginia. That's fun, right? Holgerson, Morgantown, fun, 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 fun. Style of offense, fun. Will Greer, PED scandal, still fun. That's fine. Um, I I don't want to I don't want to crap on West Virginia. At, well, look, they're an overhyped team right now. But I want to clarify that they're an overhyped team that we're actually okay with. This isn't our normal <laughs> playing session. This is different. Yeah, last I year. minded if we were wrong. Last year was kind of funny because I, I did end up getting some credit from West Virginia, from Smokey Musket, among others, for being right about them being st- extremely overhyped. I was only sort of right because they, they were overhyped, but they were better than I thought before Greer got hurt. Yeah. Um, and so they could be solid. Uh, but yeah, I'm not willing to, I need to, I need to flesh out exactly what they've got. I know they've got some transfers in and all that. Um, I need to kind of, this is one of those where until I've written the preview, I won't have all my thoughts organized on them, but I don't trust them just yet. I would say TC or Texas, I would put ahead of them and maybe Oklahoma state too. Uh, by the way, uh, Texas plays Kansas the last week before the title game. So there you go. There's, oh, your, title there's, game. there's your, there's your big 12 slash national title playing game right there. Eliminator. That's right. Uh, um, here's a question uh, to, to switch over to the ACC. Uh, uh-huh. Lucas Branson at Lucas J. Branson asks, how integral has Brent Venables been to Clemson's success the last five years? Is he ever going to look for a head coaching job? And if when he does, if slash when he does, is the Clemson defense going to be in trouble? Um, first of all, uh, A, very integral. Uh, very, very, very good defensive coach who yeah. has obviously – he was good at Oklahoma, uh, but obviously the talent he has inherited at Clemson has been very agreeable to what he wants to do, uh, and and that's obviously been a very good thing for him. Uh, second question: Is he ever going to look for a head coaching job? I have decided no until he until he proves otherwise. I am tired of speculating about him becoming a head coach somewhere. Uh, for all we know, he's going to become like Bud Foster Plus for the rest of his career. Um, it really has been. Kind of, I mean, it is a Chad Morris situation at this point. Like certain jobs are nothing or just the, the, the cycle of 
everyone in Clemson expecting him to be out the door every year, loving his system, loving his recruiting and just having so much angst about it. Just look, it's, I think it's a slimmer. I think there's a slimmer chance he takes a head coaching job than he does just sticking around and making a butt ton of money and coaching the best recruits in the country. Right. And, but then the last part of that too, if slash when he does is Clemson going to be in trouble defensively. Well, I mean, when Chad Morris left, they just promoted to, to, to co-coordinator two of the other guys on staff uh, and, and poof, everything's happened. It's amazing what happens when you recruit really well, yeah. uh, the margin for air. And when you prove that you're willing to spend a butt ton of money on a coordinator, I can't imagine the coaching talent that will replace Venables will be that much of a drop off. It, it could be a drop off because Venables is excellent, but they're, I, they're going to be okay. They're, they're recruiting too well. Uh, and that, that machine is rolling a little too well for, for me to worry too much about them. Adam Pickens, AW Pickens about to start a PhD at Florida state. Wondering what we can expect from the new offense. And if there's anything to learn from looking at the single year, that Taggart was at Oregon. Also Saban or number of years before the Atlanta Braves play for the world series again or national titles. <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? I was going to so read this one, but skip the Taggart part and go straight to the Braves part. Uh, does he mean, so if it takes the Braves three years to get to the World Series, is that more or less That's than the number of titles saving, that yeah. David will win? I'm going to go. I'm thinking, I'm, picking, I'm picking Braves here. Why are you picking Braves here? Because I think it's more than three years before they play a World Series again. You don't know. And. And, and of course, Saban is just an over-under of 2.5 killjoy, Justin. Shut up, Pirates um, fan. Um, I'm not saying the Pirates are making the damn World Series either. I'm not saying the Braves are. We're really good, okay? And I know, the, but just by virtue of the fact that this is a college football podcast, which means this is pre- majority of listeners come from the Southeastern yeah, United States, which means you're going to get a bunch of Braves fans in your mentions jumping your ass, and you should. Um, if you get a PhD at Florida state, do you get to enjoy anything at Florida state? Like, like just go get trashed and enjoy the weather. Or is it just like, is that more like a grown ass endeavor to get a PhD? I should call my sister. She has two masters and I think she's going to eventually get a PhD in genetics. So I don't have that career path in front of me. Um, Adam, good luck on the PhD. I'm curious what, what it's, what it's in. Um, if you're getting a PhD at Florida state, I think that's a real, that's, that's tough just because like you're in a place where mm, I would say colloquial people, people really aren't in the uh, academic mindset all the time. Cause it's really fun to just get trash there and enjoy things. Um, if you're going to go to these college football games, um, Oh wait, maybe Adam's an actual FSU fan who did his undergrad there. I need more information, Adam, incomplete set. Um, <laughs> anything from Taggart at Oregon? Um, Nah, nah. I think, I think honestly, um, it would be wiser to look at what he was doing with Marlon Mack and Quentin flowers at South Florida two years ago. Um, they just, that was still, that was still fitting personnel in and not having exactly what they wanted in terms of line play and receivers, especially they, they didn't like the, they, there was an absence. What did they tell me? It's an absence of physicality. I think with some of the receivers at Oregon, um, it, a very much a different style of wide receiver play between the, that Gulf Coast system and then what Helfrich was doing slash Kelly was doing. So I think that's just a different thing. Um, I would look more at I would way, look though, more at USF. When Justin Herbert was healthy last year in games, Justin Herbert played. They averaged forty nine points per game last year. I know they're good. Um, so the offense was pretty damn good, and you know, honestly, the the te- the talent they inherited quarterback is a lot more like Justin Herbert than um, 
uh, than Quentin Flowers. So, uh, you know, I do think you can draw some of it. I, I do remember back in uh, December when we were up in New York for the Piesman uh, ceremony, Bud Elliott was just getting into our, our resident Tomahawk Nation founder, uh, Bud Elliott, was just getting into the process of kind of scouting out like what he could learn about Taggart from organ tape. And boy, it was fun watching him talk himself into a spread mm-hmm. offense. That was, that was glorious. But he also was finding a lot of clips of a lot of really fun plays now I, you know francois or blackman whoever ends up starting for um florida state this year isn't as good as justin herbert i don't think uh but uh, you know this time last year i didn't realize how good justin herbert was either so we'll see bill we got five more minutes do you want to do more questions or is there any topic that you just want to bridge out of well here's a topic that um here's a question that i can't come up with a complete answer for but i want to at some point and so um you know consider it an ongoing here a, a placeholder our friend at redmond longhorn uh writer for me at football study hall on occasion um he asks it is well known that bama has a recurring support staff of like 30 and a bunch of coaching quote-unquote analysts what do these people actually do since they can't be in contact with players slash recruits by rule how do these numbers compare to other major p5 programs um, so, well, <laughs> depending on who you ask, yeah, they might have a little more contact Finger with players, quotes. um, then, you know, by rule. And I'm not talking about Bama here necessarily, just in general. Finger quotes, I'm talking about Bama. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, like there, there, you know, there are shadow staffs that might exist for some of these things, but no, I, the analyst position in, in general is very interesting to me because first of all, it kind of bleeds in with what we commonly think of graduate assistant roles, um, you know, in terms of like self scouting and tendencies and things like that. You can go a lot further with that now that you have a lot more people. Um, but one analyst isn't another analyst. When Sonny Dykes was an analyst at TCU, he probably had different roles than like the analyst who was a quarterback three years ago and moved up from grad assistant uh, last year. So, the, okay. So the best I can give you is, um, I have a source that I talked to on a very consistent basis. who was an analyst at Michigan for Harbaugh. And that source was uh, proficient on one side of the, basically made his career on one side of the football. And so he was actually sent to the other side of the football um, to look at what other teams were doing. In other words, he ghosted his job. Um, yeah. primarily was to was to put himself in the feet in the shoes of the opposing OC. Yeah, um, and so that. he would come up with. They would chart everything that they had done to that point. Now, usually a GA does that, hands it off to an analyst. The analyst is then looking at what's on what's on the actual play-by-play sheets. Let's say it's week five, so you've got four weeks, and then maybe maybe you look at a bowl if it's applicable. Maybe you look at some games from last season against teams that are similar to yours, either on offense or defense. Um, and you look at all that, and then you sort of get into prediction mode. Um, what an analyst does in this case, because he was proficient in, in play calling, he had he'd spent his entire career on that side of the ball. He was able to figure out tendencies and it almost it kind of sounds like poker at a certain point. Like it's, it's more about <laughs> tells and, and behavioral patterns than it even is what's yep. on the page. And so what you're ultimately getting at is that you're allowing an individual with a ton of football expertise to sit and, predict or worry or just kind of play out an idea that otherwise wouldn't 
there's no way that your offense or defensive coordinator would have time in the week to do just that, right? They're coaching the kids. They're installing the systems, you know, taking meetings with position groups and quarterbacks. And so what this does is allow it basically allows one of the hundreds of random thoughts that your top line assistant coaches have throughout the week. And then assigning that to a person to think through, and that's only half the job bill. Then he's got to come up with his decisions and what he thinks this guy's going to do or what he thinks the, the, his, his coach should be looking for the play caller or the, or, you know, or the DC, whichever. And then you have to say, all right, this is what I think. Here's all of, here's the reasons why I think it, but then they have to condense it down and get it into the brains of the actual working coaching staff. Because on game day, he can't, he can't have any communication with those guys. Right. So he can't get in the earpiece of the, of the coordinator and say, Hey, watch out for this. Da, 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 da. So it, it's, it's a tricky deal. Um, I think a lot of them exist as sort of comfort food for head coaches in that they <laughs> right. like to have football guys people. you can chat with. Yeah. They like to have football people around, and and then if one thing that one of these analysts noticed from just literally sitting in a room making 80 grand to like come in for about six to eight hours a day and watch film and take notes, condense your notes into a book report, hand it in and then BS around at a couple meetings and just say, hey, man, watch that. They really like us on third and eight like that. And if that hits and they can go back on Sunday and say, hey, that observation paid us dividends, then man. Like then head coaches are going to want to hire 80 more analysts. So it's a, <laughs> One this the, is the, this is the benefit of having a ton of money at these programs and a lot of people looking for jobs. And one of the other, uh, when you're talking about like basically just more or less impersonating other coordinators and whatnot, one other way that that can have an influence is in the off season when you're out looking for new ideas um, you can go a lot further. You can track so many teams like what, uh, you know, this team's running the ball or these are the teams running the ball really well. Let's track all of them. Let's chart all of them. Let's figure out what all of them are doing. Um, and so the ideas you can draw, you can draw from a whole hell of a lot more schools. And at some point, maybe this becomes like too much, you know, in that regard, too much information. But I do think that's another area where the extra hands on deck, the extra knowledgeable hands uh, can do really interesting things because you can more effectively go out and figure out trends and what other guys are doing that you want to do too. Bill, we managed to holler about the Pac-12, you've done one team preview, and that preview is Oregon State. Um, what this ensures yes. is that when we meet again in two weeks, two weeks, I might add, yes. we'll have the entirety of the Pac-12 and the actual football playing parts of the Pac-12 to discuss, in addition to your questions and probably some more news on a couple other projects we're working on. You will be on the road next week at, yes. uh, at Parts Unknown working on a coach profile. I will be uh, on the road for a different project, not Project X, just other stuff that Bill and I are having to start to get uh, to prepare for a substantial college football preview that's coming out this summer at SB Nation. Um, in addition to all of that, when we reconvene in two weeks, we're also going to have on a gentleman named Mitch Light. We've had him on the show before. He's the editor-in-chief of Athlon, and you and I did our contributions for Athlon. Um, it's our little freelance. It's our side, it's our side hustle. It's our side lady. Um <laughs> And we will have Mitch on because I guess they're trying to kill Mitch over at Athlon. The Athlon College Football Preview will be out in stores Memorial Day weekend. Okay. That's freaking crazy. Uh, yeah, by the way, so okay. So two weeks from now, um, when we when we meet again, I'll still be on the Pac-12, but I'll just put out the Stanford Preview. Hey, hey. Uh, 
and then with Washington State and or excuse me with USC and Washington to follow. Um, yeah. So by the way, keep your guesses coming. I will continue to not respond to them. But if you have a guess on where uh, the clue last week was, I'm going somewhere. Uh, and, and I got my date with the coach and then the wife and I are going to drive four hours to another location that my wife has always wanted to visit. That is the clue four ish hours. Um, I got a couple guesses. Uh, I am again, not going to say whether you're right or wrong, but I'm just curious, uh, where your head's at when it comes to four hours from a college town to a really, uh, to a, a city that my wife would want to, uh, visit. So have fun in Cleveland. <laughs> what's four hours from cleveland uh well penn state's probably about four hours so there you know that could be a guess it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a good guess um, columbus is that I, I didn't think that was four and a half i didn't think it was that i long. don't know man it's, 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 uh, i don't look no one needs to know what ohio looks like they just have to go and survive okay sure uh bill two weeks two weeks two weeks how many times do i have to say it two weeks two weeks um, we will not have a show next week. We love all of you dearly. We will both be on the road doing our job jobs and we will reconvene in two weeks. We will then kick a normal schedule through the next couple weeks after that. We're really going to come back with a big, big show because we've got a, we're going to, uh, hawk the Athlon magazine for you guys to go by. Uh, we're going to jump right back into it with pac 12 and then we're going to hopefully be giving news on other projects and such. See, this is no off season. There is no off season. We're just clicking right along, my man. Right. 